Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hey. Hi, Andre. Hey. Um, hey, hey, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, not much. I'm just, um, you know, in my house, chilling, having a chill Thursday. For the audience who doesn't know, we record our, most of our episodes, we record them on Thursday, and they go up Monday night. Uh, at least that's what I call it in quotes. It's really Tuesday at 12.01 a.m. Um, <laughs> um, how are you, Shannon? I am super exhausted. I've gone from sleeping too much to sleeping five hours a night, usually at 6 a.m. So I'm, I'm doing good. <laughs> I see. A, a true night owl, man. That's a lot. You know what's funny? I went to Target today, and all I got was sleeping pills and a bottle of water. And as I'm checking out, the girl was like, so... So, like, do you have plans for later on today? Just, like, being nice. And I was like, I just, like, looked at what I had. And I was like, no. And she was like, oh, that's fine. And, like, I just realized, like, this girl has no idea what I'm buying. This girl is so oblivious. Does she does she know I'm about to drive? Like, shouldn't this no. be, like, more of a process? But I guess no. it's not. I guess it's not. I think <laughs> that she thought you were going to off yourself. And so she was like, hmm, so do you have plans later? It didn't seem like she was that concerned about me offing myself, though. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like she would have been like, oh, like, do you have plans later? But she, like, she didn't even seem to notice. And I was like, you know... <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I do a great night's sleep. Um, yeah, and it was like two o'clock. I was like, well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to tell her I'm about to go That's record funny. a podcast. Like, <laughs> Well, speaking of two o'clock, um, two o'clock is only one hour before three o'clock, which in AM terms is the witching hour. So... <laughs> Yeah, maybe I would have, um, uh, I don't know, summoned the midnight man at the witching hour with my sleeping pills. <laughs> no, no, no. My segue was going to be that speaking of the witching and speaking of the haunting <gasps> and speaking of the spooky, today we have a spooky one for you guys. Sometimes we like to get metaphysical. We like to get demonic. This one's just pure spooky because we're getting into ghosts. Today, Shannon and I will be talking about poltergeists. Wow, what a beautiful segue. What a beautiful introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I try. Um, uh, so, Shannon, before I briefly explain what a poltergeist is, what do you know? What have you heard? Okay, so first off, I, from my understanding, is that it's not exactly a ghost in the traditional sense. However, that is debatable. I think a lot of people think it is a ghost. But mm-hmm. in my mind, it's more like a malevolent presence that is born out of intense emotions, typically associated with adolescence and... So, yeah, that's what I kind of view it as. It's not really a ghost. It's more like a spirit type of energy that attaches itself to a person rather than a specific place like a house. So instead of a haunting of a house, you're you're experiencing a haunting that you can't escape. Interesting. Uh, I'd never heard that, like, the, like it, it's basically a representation of, like, teen angst or something. I had never heard that. I do hear, <laughs> I did hear something similar. I did read something similar when I was doing research. I'll read it to you in a second. But the, like, it attaches to a person instead of a, a house. I did read that. Um, it's kind of like those Japanese ghosts. I don't remember what they're called, but there's basically, like, Japanese ghost lore that is, like, um, a specific type of ghost that attaches to your back and you feel like a heavy weight because you literally carrying a ghost that's really scary to me um apparently like they can like leech onto you like fleas if you go into a place that has like very turbulent energy oh, my. um interesting stuff but anyway 
um what i got was that a, a poltergeist um so interesting bit of etymology actually um the word comes from german and it means noisy ghost or noisy spirit um and apparently it's a type of ghost that is responsible for physical disturbances such as honest, honestly most ghosts are but um loud noises objects being moved or destroyed um apparently they are capable of pinching biting hitting and tripping people so they must have some physical yeah uh, i don't know like gravity you know like some weight to them um maybe at will who knows um most accounts of poltergeists describe the movement or levitation um of objects such as furniture or like noises such as knocking on doors so like your typical haunting um now this is interesting to me traditionally poltergeists have been described as troublesome spirits who haunt a again a particular person instead of a specific location um the the interesting part is that they are reported everywhere so i thought this is actually just a uh, like a western thing but apparently um like india and japan and australia also have very early accounts of this some date back to the first century so ghost man they're real <laughs> um, well if we're talking yeah. about like just moving objects or stuff falling down i feel like any culture or any person in any country that has a house can probably experience this <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i guess i guess yeah like the, this article doesn't doesn't delineate between regular ghost and poltergeist very much um maybe we're gonna go with what you said because that sounds much more specific um but anyway what i was gonna say in regards to that is like um actually carl jung the psychoanalyst he was uh, very interested in the concept of poltergeist apparently during his life and like the occult in general and he believed that a female cousin's trans states were responsible for a dining table splitting in two mm. in his later discovery of a broken bread knife. He wow. also believed that when a bookcase gave an explosive cracking sound during a meeting with Sigmund Freud in 1909, he correctly predicted there would be a second sound, speculating that such phenomena was caused by quote-unquote exteriorization of his subconscious mind. Freud disagreed. <laughs> um it's <laughs> kind of like what you said like 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 i don't know like something within him like materialized into something outside of his body and now it wreaks havoc yeah kind of like psychokinesis which is something i'll be talking about where you can move things with your mind um or cause things to happen outside of yourself but um yeah that that explanation of like the energy i think in the terms of poltergeist of what i'm going to be talking about it's less it's less that you're aware of it, I would say. Like, it's not something that you're purposefully doing. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, happening as a result of these emotions that are kind of uncontrollable. It's like, once it's born out of you, right. it's out of your control. It doesn't belong to you anymore. It's a separate own thing. Yeah, I like that so far. Uh, I think we're going to go with that for now. I like that idea. Um, okay, so... Today, I'll be talking about the Enfield Poltergeist. Shannon, Ooh. have you heard anything about this? I haven't. I like the sound of it. Okay, so you you might as I go along. I will I will say um, the reason it's interested me so much is because I actually watched the movie adaptation of it. Um, the Conjuring 2 is basically a movie about the Enfield Poltergeist. Oh, um, okay, okay. Yeah, I've heard of this. Yes. Very, very famous. <laughs> very, very famous. Yeah. 
photographic evidence of it as well. Um, which is what, anyway. So, Enfield Poltergeist. So, in 1977, a family living in a small semi-detached house in Enfield in London. It's a, this is like a suburb of London. So, this is in the UK. Um, was subject to a series of violent paranormal disturbances, which lasted for an entire year. There were levitations, there were moving objects, overturned furniture, channel voices that were witnessed by more than 30 people, including Ooh. residents, journalists, neighbors, police. It was crazy. Now, the timeline goes as follows. 1977, in 284 Green Street, Enfield, London. 47-year-old Peggy Hodgson lives in this house with her four children. Margaret, age 13, Janet, age 12, Billy, age 7, and John, age 11, who was rarely at home because he was in a boarding school. So whatever, John, bye girl. Now, Peggy was divorced. She was a strong but quiet woman, according to this article. And she was working very hard to keep her family afloat because there were hard financial times at the time. So. What happens during this year? On the 31st of August of the same year, 1977, around 9.30 p.m., we have very exact timestamps here, which I love. Janet and John were in bed, so her son, which was rarely at home, um, when they heard a shuffling sound. Mrs. Hodgson, Peggy, came into the kids' room to tell them to quiet down the night before the children had complained that their beds were shaking up and down and Peggy was a little tired of them playing around at night. And so she was like, oh, the kids are just like playing with me again or whatever. Okay, they should go to sleep. Now, Janet complained that the chair in their bedroom was making the noise. Slightly irritated, the mom removed the chair from the room and took it downstairs. Upon returning it to the children's room, she turned on the light, and the shuffling sound started again. She turned the light back on, and it stopped immediately. The children were in their beds, apparently not moving. She turned the lights off once again, and once again, the shuffling sound could be heard. Peggy explained the sound as if, quote-unquote, someone was walking across the room wearing slippers. Then, there was a knocking. As they listened... A chest of drawers by the bedroom door slid out into the room around 18 inches from its usual position against the wall. They hmm. stood in the quiet room, all staring at the chest. Peggy pushed it back against the wall, and once again, it slid back out into the room. So, <laughs> that's just one of the instances that this family went through at the beginning of their poltergeist. Now, um, I like this. So, more shit happens. The police come to their house. And officers, WPC Heaps and PC Himes, go to their house one day. And they basically, like, hear, like, knocks and see shit moving. And they give the following testimony, which I will read. Um, the first um, officer does, WPC Heaps. So they go to the infield house on Thursday, September 1st, 1977. And they say, quote, at approximately 1 a.m., I was on duty in my capacity as a policeman when I received a radio message to 284 Green signed Ainfield. I went to this address where I found a number of people standing in the living room. I was told by the occupier of this house that strange things had been happening during the last few nights and that they believed that the house was haunted. 
myself, and another PC, entered the living room of the house, and the occupier switched off the lights. Almost immediately, I heard the sound of knocking on the wall that backs onto the next door's neighbor's house. There were four distinct taps on the wall and then silence. About two minutes later, I heard more tapping, but this time it was coming from a different wall. Again, it was a distinctive peal of four taps. Blah, 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 blah. More stuff moves, and basically the quote ends with, At no time did, because a chair like slid across the floor towards the kitchen wall at one point, and apparently it moved like four feet or something. The officer like says, At no time did it, the chair, appeared to leave the floor. I checked the chair but could find nothing to explain how it had moved. The lights were switched mm-hmm. back on and nothing else happened that night, although we have later reports of disturbances at this address. Now, this is in the movie. The officers go to the house and the, it was actually an, a police woman, sorry, not a policeman. So this, this, this woman officer goes to the house and, um, like she in the movie, she like checks furniture because she sees that shit is moving and she can't believe it. And to me, it's just very, it's like a lot that even the police were like, we had no idea what the fuck was happening. Um, you know what I mean? I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's really weird, especially because <laughs> it was all so distinct, like the knocking. Like, if that's yeah. someone messing with you, it's like, well, for one, don't mess with a cop. It's just dumb. Mm-hmm. For two, like, they couldn't find the source of, like, why the chair was moving, which is really weird. Like, there's just a lot of weird things happening in this house, which I find interesting. Exactly. Now, so, again, we're still in September 1977. So, by this place, um, sorry, but at this point, over the next few days, Lego and glass marbles begin uh, being thrown around the house. Again, now we're still at September 1977. So, over the next few days, Lego and glass marbles begin being thrown around the house. Um, so, I, I don't know what this ghost was trying to do. Um, maybe he was just a little kid. He had no toys when he died. Who knows? But he started throwing glass and Legos at people and fucking left and right. Um, apparently a journalist visited the house uh, to, to, um, a journalist and a photographer at this point started visiting the house. So, okay. September, 1977. At this point, it's been, um, over a month since like shit started to happen. Obviously the poor family must be losing their minds. Anyway, Journalist Douglas Benz and photographer Graham Morris visit the house at this point in September, um, and they witness Lego blocks flying around the room. So, if I'm not mistaken, at this point is when like Graham Morris, the photographer, uh, decides to stay around for a little longer, and um, he ends up taking pictures of um, Janet levitating, which I'm sure you must have seen some of the pictures um, because these are very popular. It's basically this like 13 year old girl. She has like short brown hair. She has a red gown on it's nighttime. And there's this photo caught of her, which it looks like she's levitating in her bedroom midair or like she's being like thrown across the room. Wow. Yeah. I I, I don't know. I'll I'll show you later, but it's crazy. Uh, These are very famous pictures. Um, Now, October 1977. So a month later, poor family, I feel bad for them. Anyway, by October, the moving and the throwing of the objects had now been continuing for weeks. Um, soft furnishings, cutlery, and any household object that wasn't basically nailed down had become the focus of the ghosts or whatever it was that was haunting them to throw around the house and disrupt everyone. Um, so this keeps happening for another month. Now, November of 1977. <laughs> 
<laughs> I just can't believe that like they haven't lost their minds. Um, <laughs> in November, shit's still happening. Um, they noticed that the knocking sounds around the house uh, had uh, started to become um, intelligent. And uh, one journalist that went to the house, a different one, his name was Maurice Gross, decided that he was going to ask the sounds questions. So, which to me is just such a creepy concept, right? Like basically, like knocking on a wall and then like answering back. I can't. Um, oh. <laughs> so this guy started by simply requesting the ghost to knock once for no uh, and twice for yes. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so Maurice, we stand. Asked the ghost if it was dead. The ghost replied by knocking fifty-three times. <laughs> fifty-three. I know. I mean, that's just a very emphatic yes. That's what that is. Uh, yeah. I, I. That's how I would interpret it, at least. Now, okay, so November keeps passing. Janet's behavior gets more and more erratic. Again, Janet is the one of the four kids, the 13-year-old girl, I think she was like 13, that ends up being affected by this, like apparently directly possessed. Um, none of the other siblings really experience this. So it's all about Janet. So remember that name. Now, um, again, November keeps passing and Janet's behavior gets been more erratic and at times she becomes very unsettled. The ward's possession, according to the article at this point, still hadn't been used by the by the journalist Maurice Gross, who was the one that was kind of documenting the case at this point. Because eventually there was like footage that was released on like a BBC like um like segment. So like I'm I think this was the guy that filmed all of this. But anyway. Uh, he, he didn't say that this girl was possessed, but he did go as far as to say that, quote-unquote, she seemed to be taken over. Uh, mm. Which, I mean... <laughs> um, now, listen, on the night of November 26th, a doctor had to be called to the house because Janet's wild behavior was getting too wild. So, doctor comes and injects her with 10 milligrams of Valium. <laughs> That's a lot. Oh, no. So, this was enough to put her to sleep. However, half an hour later, the investigators heard a loud crash coming from upstairs. And upon checking on Janet, they found Janet on top of a dresser in her bedroom, still asleep, kneeling on a white clock radio. Apparently, having been thrown 14 feet across the room. So... (laughs) What? She was kneeling asleep on top of a dresser on top of a clock radio? Correct. What the fuck? And she had she had just been sedated with ten milligrams of Valium thirty minutes prior. So you explain that one to me. Bitch is a fucking gymnast. <laughs> <laughs> now that's weird. <laughs> yeah, you think? <laughs> now, these investigators, they're like, yeah, these investigators are like, okay, so she's kneeling on top of a dresser, fourteen feet away from where we put her. T. Now we need cameras. So they set up cameras in the girls' room. Uh, I forgot to say that, like, Janet shared this um, <laughs> this um, room with her two sisters. So the two sisters, like, must have seen when she got, like, flung around the room. So that's super scary. <laughs> I took my sisters, too, that they had to see that. But anyway, the investigators set up the room, uh, set up, like, cameras in the girls' room, and uh, which they could, they could be remotely operated. And they take bursts of photos every four seconds. Um, the images documented from these cameras showed several strange happenings in the room. One of these burst photos that they took is the most famous photo from the Enfield case, which is the one that I mentioned earlier. The one about her, like, flying midair. Um, what the fuck? Yeah, so, so the first, um, the first, like, burst picture that was taken. A burst picture is basically when you take, um, 
that thing in it, iPhone has that function. It's basically like, um, I forget what it's called, but it takes like a thousand pictures in a second, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So the 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 first uh like very notable picture that was taken was a, a pillow, and it appeared to like twist around midair, although it was thrown by no one. Um. The second picture that, that's notable was a curtain that appeared to twist around by itself, even though there were no in- windows open. And the most extreme photos were images of Janet herself again levitating in the air, being thrown from her bed, and there is more than just one image of this. Uh, Janet described the events as such, and I quote, The levitation was scary because you didn't know where you were going to land. I remember a curtain being wound around my neck. I was screaming. I thought I was going to die. I know. Okay, so we're almost getting to the end of this timeline, right? And now it's December. And so August, September... What am I saying? Yeah, August, September, October, November, December. Like, five fucking months. Like, poor family. December 10th, 1977. The intelligence of the disturbance progressed further. And I like that at this point, it's still not really... They haven't really tried to define what it is. Because is it a demon that's possessed? Or is it a ghost? Because I don't know that demons are very much about, like, throwing things around. or I don't know. But anyway. Right. So whatever this is, it got it smarter, apparently. And now it was manifesting itself as a voice. Now, this is a very um, important part of the movie. It's, it's key, right? It's when, um, and I'll mention how Ed and Lorraine Warren come into this in a second. But it's a part of the movie where, um, like, the, the ghost voice manifests. And it tells you, like, who it is. And that's when you get to find out that it's a ghost and not a demon because it says that it was basically like an old man that used to live in the house. Allow me to explain. So the investigators um, realize that there's like a voice now. Like Janet begins basically like like talking in a gravelly, growling like voice, like almost like barking sound along with whistles. The investigators theorize that if this thing could bark and whistle, Maybe it could have an intelligent conversation with them. Through questioning, gradually, apparently, it formed a more intelligent voice, wasn't just like barking and growling. Although the voice still had this like guttural growl. Um, now, the investigators held conversations with this thing that was allegedly inside Janet for months. And they described it as, quote unquote, like someone standing behind me putting their hand on my neck. Sorry, that's what Jenna described it as. Okay. So, like, she was being used as a puppet, basically. So, there's a voice clip that's very famous, and I'll just send it to you later for creep factor. But basically, this voice clip is um, one of the journalists talking to a man by the name of Terry Wilkins. Apparently, that is the name of the man inside Janet. Terry's father explains Terry, the ghost, through Janet. He explains that his father had lived in the Hodgson's home prior to this family. He had, Terry confirms, died of a hemorrhage in his favorite chair on the first floor. His father's name was Bill. So this was crazy to me, right? There's a voice clip of the investigators talking to Janet, and Janet Janet is talking back. But, like, it's actually Terry Wilkins, the ghost, that is talking back. What are your thoughts on this? Um, that's hella creepy. <laughs> I mean, I, I, either she's faking or it's, it's a ghost. I don't know. <laughs> At this point, I'm just like, I want to know how this ends. <laughs> okay, now let me spill this tea for you. So the investigators claim to have later, this is key, 
to have later put water in Janet's mouth and covered it with a strip of tape. What? Though the voice still spoke. So. <laughs> uh, saliva is really sticky. Maybe she just like made a little hole. <laughs> no, maybe. But let me give you... Ventriloquism. <laughs> Let me give you even hotter tea, okay? Let me snatch your wig and fucking rip it in half. So, John Hasted, a physicist at London's Burbank College, carried out an experiment together with one of the journalists that was present at Janet's home. Uh, And this person was a phonetics expert at the University College in London. Now, the tests were with a laryngograph. That's how you call it. And basically what this does is it indicates what kind of vocal folds the person is using while speaking. I'm going to explain. So they use this machine, and the machine indicated that the voice, the ghost, was using Janet's false vocal folds, not by the larynx as in usual speech. So it was speaking through her false vocal folds, which are basically a thing that you can't really speak through. People speak through their larynx by putting pressure on that now listen if a person was to talk using their false vocal folds for any period of time they would usually suffer from a sore throat at best with the danger of long-term injury very real so that's at worst janet however would talk to the investigators in this voice for hours on end and she did this for months mind you and later upon returning to her normal voice would suffer no adverse effect at all so (laughs) how how she do That's that? So crazy. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know. How the fuck did Jenna do that? Like, how was she able to talk with that voice for hours, four months, mind you, like hours a day without like, damn it, Janet. Like, yeah. Like, without basically like damaging her throat. I don't know. I have no idea. Like, that's crazy. I can't explain that except maybe she eats a lot of popsicles or takes multivitamins. I mean, it, <laughs> It's possible, yeah, a lot of, like, honey tea. Um, okay, if you watch the movie, um, you, you know this, honestly, or even if you just watch some of the footage that was released, the actual real footage, you know this voice was bad. Like, it was it was pretty, pretty, pretty hard to, like, sustain for a long time, right? Like, um, she, she'd be like, um, like, my name is Terry <sighs> Wilkins, and this is, like, a 13-year-old girl. <laughs> and she'd do that for hours a day hours and she wouldn't break character so she must have been really good and again she did this for months and it's just like i'm shook and i can't and there was something inside that girl um now this case is kind of controversial because there are like um there are some investigators that did catch there is like one instance that has been proven beyond like the, the shadow of a doubt that like the girls, two girls, Janet and one of her sisters were caught like bending spoons in order to then make it seem like it had been mm-hmm. the ghosts doing it um and so people are like oh like hoax but to me i don't know if i'm like psychoanalyzing too deep without knowing enough here but i think that this like most of it was real and the girls like like the attention that they were getting even though their life was so miserable maybe like the attention they were getting was like the one nice thing they had in their life at that moment and so they were trying to actually extend it uh against their best interest obviously but they didn't realize that uh and so like they were making it seem more exaggerated than it actually was. But I do think that it was real. And there are experts that basically think the same thing as me. Um, and, and that's actually the end of the timeline. It's really interesting because like, so, so again, like they prove that um, 
um, like the girl isn't using her larynx and it's her false vocal folds and they don't know how she's doing this. Um, and eventually, um, by like 19, uh, like July 1978, um, Janet is admitted, is admitted to a mental hospital, uh, in her town. And then two months later, she like, like gets out and, uh, there's no side there's no signs of anything else happening anymore. Um, and like when she comes home, the disturbances just stop. And so this is very confusing to me because it's like, okay, so there was no big like climax or any, like there was definitely yeah. no Valak. <laughs> um, if you see the conjuring too, there was no fucking none. Um, I just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Um, well, I, I think that it's really interesting that there was like a man, I guess they're claiming that died there, you know, and that Terry was using her to speak, but that kind of conflicts with what I was saying before about poltergeist being born out of adolescent angst, but also I'm like, well, maybe it doesn't, maybe he's just latching on to that as well. Like maybe the poltergeist and the ghosts are one in the same or bouncing off of each other and or, the reason the stuff huh? or maybe this wasn't a poltergeist it was something else yeah that's possible too but if it was maybe the reason all the activity stopped was because janet who was the source for the poltergeist went away to get mental help and she came back normal and so all the stuff ceased you know like that's possible what? that makes no sense what does her mental health have to do with it she was she seemed to be perfectly healthy before she got basically i mean back. maybe she was but she was also a 13 year old girl and i don't know about you but 13 year olds <laughs> are crazy like got Listen, hormonal changes and you know here, like all that stuff here's what i think i think that if we're going by your definition of poltergeist then this wasn't a poltergeist um I also think that, so separate thought, I also think that this may have just been, like, a spiritual possession, if that's even a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason it stopped, another another separate thought, is, I think, because this man got the chance to tell his story. Maybe that's what he wanted, maybe that's what was going to help him pass to the other realm, I don't know. It sounds like it, I mean... Yeah. Yeah, that, I don't know. Yeah, I just... The, the whole terrorization of, like, the family home and all that is kind of weird, though, because I guess maybe ghosts or whatever it was can't handle other people's presence there when they're angry. Or But, like, I just, I don't understand how they need that closure to move on, but they're so aggressive about it. Like, why are they so angry? <laughs> I mean, maybe they died a horrible death and they're resentful. I don't know. Um... Oh, I guess the very, very last thing I wanted to add was basically like how Anne and Lorraine Warren are connected to this at all because I didn't mention them during the during the, the other article that I read and um, they're not mentioned in there at all, actually. But I looked it up and basically, like, the movie is based on this case, but they really exaggerate, like, the Warrens' presence in the case. They really only came in, like, the last couple of whatever and they didn't do much. They were just there kind of, like, assess. Um... But um, there's this interesting quote uh, that Ed Warren gave um, that I like a lot about the case. Um, they, they they were convinced that the events that I'd taken there had a supernatural explanation. And Ed Warren elaborated on that. And he said, quote, those who deal with the supernatural day in and day out know the phenomena are there. There's no doubt about it. 
basically he like the reason he's saying all this is because there were skeptics that were like oh it's all fake which obviously there always are but anyway continuing the quote he says therefore when people tell me they don't believe in ghosts and spirit forces what they're really saying to me is that they're not familiar with the data on the subject yet the data is there should one care to look at it in fact much of it has been collected under such rigid conditions as to make a lot of other scientific research pale in comparison finally he says for example Take a case, Lorraine and I began investigating this past summer of 1978 in Enfield, England, where inhuman spirit phenomena were in progress. Now, you cannot record the dangerous, threatening atmosphere inside that little house, but you could film the levitations, teleportations, and dematerializations of people and objects that were happening there, not to mention the many hundreds of hours of tape recordings made of these spirit voices speaking out loud in the rooms. So... I like that. I love that. He, he he goes back to a point that I feel like I've made in the past. Or you and I have made, which is basically like, just because it's really hard to prove via the mainstream scientific method, which concerns itself only with what is visible and earthly and tangible, um, as in like tactile. It's that doesn't mean it's not real. It it, it could just mean that we haven't found a way to properly prove it like you know like the rules for this could be different than the rules that we use to prove things that are in our realm it seems to me very much like that yeah. is the case it, but we're just a society that hasn't fully accepted the existence of ghosts or whatever but this guy makes an amazing point he's like like one we do have evidence here you go but two even if we didn't like i'm telling you it was real because i was there and i felt the atmosphere and it was awful and that has to mean something you know what i mean yeah yeah and i really find it difficult to explain away the voice phenomenon that's crazy (laughs) like even if all the other stuff was just janet and her sister trying to get attention like the the larynx thing is really hard to disprove Mm -hmm. Mm Hmm. anyway um it's interesting uh, i know it just like this case just like shakes me so much because I don't know. I believe it, and, and it's so good, and but also, like, so sad, and I'm just confused as to how, like, it just went away all of a sudden. Anyway, I want to hear what you have. Mine is actually very much on tangent with what I wanted to talk about, which is the, the psychokinesis aspect, I guess, which is kind of why I suggested we talk about this, because, yeah, it's kind of paranormal and ghosty, but it also, it, it, it kind of walks the line of not being completely paranormal so much as possibly like in the the realm of parapsychology or like psychicness or energy i don't know whatever you want to call that i guess mm-hmm. um so yeah going off of my definition <laughs> of uh poltergeist being born out of i don't know intense emotion and kind of taking on a energy or or body of its own that can cause mm-hmm. trouble for people um, this story takes place in the U.S., which is different from yours. So we're mm-hmm. we're crossing the globe now. Um, so this is in Olive Hill, Kentucky. So this is in the late 1960s, which is kind of before yours. Yours was in the 70s. Yeah. And this was um, kind of irregular. So it happened to the Callahan family. They were targeted by a poltergeist. And the reason it's irregular is because normally you hear about this kind of nuclear family system of mom and dad and kids. This Uh was two elderly grandparents, (laughs) Mm. which is 
which is weird. <laughs> it's yeah. not it's not the typical ghost story, I guess. So John and Ora Callahan, they were an elderly couple and they lived in Kentucky in their little house. And they had their first experience November 15th. This is in the 1960s when a glass or like when all the glass and all their picture frames began to break. And like these are picture frames that are like on the walls and on their little cabinets and stuff. They just began to break. And Aura, who's a little bit of a religious one, she claims that one of the first items to break was a picture of Jesus. Mm. First of all, let's talk about people who frame pictures of Jesus, because that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of lends its hand to being like, maybe it's a demon, maybe it's a ghost, if you're if you're violating that image, but I don't know. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> more things began to break. Um, Aura claims that bath oil flew by itself and shattered against the wall in the bathroom when she was in there. The washing machine seemed to explode from the inside. She explained that it sounded like a shotgun going off. And then when she opened up the, the washing machine to see what would happen, there was absolutely no damage inside. And she felt like she had imagined it, like she was crazy. And so she didn't want to tell anyone about that. Oh. Um, this is all information I'm getting from, I think it's an article... Or no, this is a book. This is a book called Carter County, A Pictorial History. And okay. I think I have another source as well to talk about. So this is a this was an interesting one to investigate. So the Callahans did decide to move. And just to reiterate, like, um, this poltergeist or a poltergeist in general, it doesn't matter if you move. Like, it's going to come with you. Like, that's kind of the whole point. Mm -hmm. Because it's not attached mm -hmm. to the house, it's attached to you or something that in this case is frequently at the house, which I'll get to later. So they actually stayed in Kentucky. They didn't move that far away, <laughs> which I don't know, like if you're going to move away from something super dangerous, maybe you should move a little bit further, but they did have family in the area. So whatever, each their own. They, they moved to a place called Zimmerman Hill and they hoped that with luck, all of that stuff would be in the past. <laughs> okay. But however, on December 7th, this is only about two months later, um, small objects began to fly through the house. Tables were overturned, full tables. Heavy chests were tipped over. Just all this poltergeist activity that they couldn't explain was still happening, and it was happening at this new house. Um, yeah. Luckily, Orr and John weren't the only ones in the house at the time, so there are other witnesses to kind of corroborate this. So their son and their grandson, Roger, and three additional family friends were all in the house and witnessed um, the strange event, which I'm about to kind of talk about. Also, some of them were there at other times when there were different events. So it's it's not just John and Aura seeing it, basically. Okay. Okay, so one friend, she was named Odie Crank. Hi, Odie. <laughs> she said <laughs> that when they put plastic cups back on the table after the plastic cups had been thrown off, they were trying to clean up the mess, they immediately flew up in the air again. <laughs> Aura herself claimed to see a deceased friend at the new house, which is kind of weird. Like, when we're talking about this, Aura always has a completely different experience from the rest, which is a little bit more paranormal and weird. She, she literally claimed to see, like, a ghost, basically. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Roger, their grand their grandson, he was frequently there helping with chores. Um, I can't remember his age. I think he was 13, 14, 15, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he claimed to witness oh, like around 178 incidents. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. And Odie, she was hit by a flying Tupperware. John was injured <laughs> by a flying... Um, like me, me if I'm a ghost, just throwing Tupperware <laughs> at a Tupperware party. <laughs> John was hit by like a flying ball, and it struck him in the head, and it actually really hurt him. Yeah. And this is an old guy; like I feel pretty bad for him. And then in one instance, when things were particularly crazy and a lot of furniture was flying around, their grandson Roger caught a flying chest right as it was about to knock him over and crush him. What the fuck? Yeah. A Durham, North Carolina researcher named John Stump came to the house alongside a colleague named William Roll. And William Roll himself is pretty famous for being like a parapsychologist who studies psychic phenomenon. These two men, Stump and Roll, were from the Psychical Research Foundation. Uh Um, And they came with the intent to study the activity. And they stayed with the Callahan family only one weekend. But during that time, they recorded 50 poltergeist events. And this is one of the best recorded um, cases of poltergeist activity that we have today. So Yeah, I bet. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Stump and Roll believed that the Callahan's 12-year-old... Okay, he was 12. 12-year-old grandson Roger was the source of the poltergeist activity. So, as we know, it's kind of connected to intense adolescent angst. I mean, we don't know what Roger's going through. <laughs> um <laughs> So it's not something that he can necessarily control, but Stump kind of gathered this hypothesis based on that one weekend he spent with them by watching and taking note of whenever Roger was around and the incidents occurred. And as we mentioned before, Roger was there for 178 of them. Like, that's that's a lot. (laughs) So one time Stump was watching Roger, who sat with his back to the TV. so Roger's sitting there, and then there was this just loud crack. So Roger jumped away at the noise, and then a large bowl and a cloth doily fell from the top of the TV, rolled behind it. Um, the bowl, which was originally filled with flowers, um, the bowl is behind the TV now, but the flowers, for some reason, they stayed. <laughs> they just they just stayed on the TV, which, like, Stump was like, that's kind of weird. Like, why didn't that fall back the two? Like, this is, yeah. it's just, it's all very weird. And so Stump, who was kind of not really having it, he searched for strings, something that Roger could use to fake it. He looked behind the TV and he looked at other stuff, but he couldn't find anything. And then somehow um, Roger's parents ended up inviting him over, him and Roll over. And at Roger's house, they were inside the kitchen and it was after midnight and Roger was supposedly asleep, um, but he eventually did get up again and he entered the kitchen. And then when he entered the kitchen, the kitchen table flew up, it rotated 45 degrees midair, and fell down on top of the four chairs. (laughs) Honestly, just a Tuesday evening. I mean... (laughs) Normal poltergeist activity. Everyone is used to it by now. Like, I... That was really weird to me. I'm like, how could you fake that with strings or anything? You know what I mean? Like... Yeah. That's just wild to me. Okay, so next, Roger went into the living room. 
and suddenly a 60 pound coffee table flipped upside down. And when I say it flipped upside down, I don't mean that it like, like, it wasn't like a drastic chaotic movement. It literally went from standing up to an instant flip upside down. Like, how? How could it do it that fast? <laughs> and so perfectly. And um, this all, the accounts of what happened at Roger's house, this is from a book called Hauntings and Poltergeist, Multidisciplinary Perspectives. And this is edited by a James Horan and a Rents Lores? Lowe's? I don't know how to say that. Anyway, okay. just so you know, credit what credit's due. <laughs> so this is where it gets kind of weird. So... At this point, Stump and Roll were pretty dang convinced, like, okay, either this kid has a poltergeist attached to him, or the kid is, like, psychokinetic, and he can make things move with his mind. Maybe he knows, maybe he doesn't. I don't know. But, so, they asked Roger, you know, they're like, do you think you have anything to do with this? And so Roger was like, well, I think the next thing to move in this room is the chest, the big chest. And it did. <laughs> It moved only seconds later, and they were just like, okay, okay, thank you, goodbye. <laughs> no, they actually stayed, but they witnessed nine more accidents that night, and they were unable to find proof of any fraud. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so just kind of like to lay out the numbers, um, so Roger was present for at least 107 documented object movements, 21 of the occurrences at the grandparents' um, house happened while Roger was away. That's important because, I mean, he wasn't there. So you have to think about it as like Maybe 200. He can move them. Maybe he can move the things from afar. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But if like 200 things happened, 200 incidents, and then 21 when he wasn't there. I mean, that's kind of a small yeah. percentage. We don't really know. Yeah. It's just hard to say how this would even operate, you know? Uh-huh. Okay, so Stump and Roll actually believed that the occurrences increased um, in activity and they spread to Roger's home under their observation. You know, like they, because they had followed Roger home, maybe that stressed the poltergeist out, poltergeist out a little bit more and so there were more to be observed. And Roger's mother, Helen, <laughs> believed the same thing so much that she blamed them. She blamed the parapsychologists. She claimed that they were the ones who brought the quote-unquote demon with them from Aura's house. <laughs> Which is kind of like, okay, but <laughs> I yeah. mean, come on. <laughs> so something to take note of here is Helen herself, I'm not sure if her husband was, was a Jehovah's Witness. And Helen was in full belief that it was a demon. It was not a poltergeist. It was not any psychicness. She was certain it was a demon. She accepted a group of Jehovah's Witnesses offer for an exorcism. And there's not that much information on what actually happened during this exorcism. But the one thing we do know is that they decided to burn Roger's clothes, <laughs> believing that they were, the poltergeist was attached to the clothes. <laughs> lit uh yeah it was lit <laughs> um but unfortunately that little exorcism didn't work and the poltergeist activity continued until the family all fled to ohio where, where i'm guessing it continued because clearly this is the kid doing it well this is like the end of the story we don't hear what happens when they move to ohio Okay. Yeah, and so it's kind of crazy. Like, the most documented case of poltergeists just kind of stops when they 
when they moved to Ohio either because Helen herself was just in such denial about it and didn't want anything to do with it. Or maybe the kid finally grew up and stopped freaking out and the poultry guys grew bored. We don't know. We don't know what no, happened. No, <laughs> I just don't think there's any ghosts here. I think it's all the kid. This kid has like like psychokinetic powers and he was using them and didn't realize he was doing it. But when he moved to Ohio, maybe he realized that like her par- his parents were so freaked that they had to move states that and then he realized that he was the cause that maybe he made himself stop doing it. Like, I, that's what I feel. Yeah, I find it I find it very interesting, though, that idea of, like, psychic energy can have such an effect on the mass around you. That really, that that kind of, I don't know, it, it adds a lot of layers to this idea of what our minds are capable of, even if we're not mm-hmm. aware of it, and what kind of layers of consciousness there are, like, in this reality. Like, if there's a layer for the things that you're not aware of, like, unconscious, and then conscious... And then possibly dead people. Like, how many layers are there that we're not seeing? Is this a freaking five-layer cake? I think so. I think we could just be in the center of a very layered onion. (laughs) Like Shrek? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. Um, There was another story. It was just kind of a short little one. This actually happened, too. But um, I'm not going to give any names or anything. Okay, okay. I was first interested in Poltergeist because I read about this. And basically, it happened to a woman and her husband and their daughter and they had kind of the same complaints of like stuff was moving around and then they called a paranormal investigator and he basically just zeroed in on the daughter immediately because she was like 16 or 17 and he asked like hey like how's your daughter been lately and she said oh well my daughter just went through a really bad breakup and he was like it's probably your daughter (laughs) and what ended up happening is that the woman contacted him after and said that after he said that there were a couple more incidents and then once the girl was happier it just stopped and that's that's, fucking crazy now i i have just never heard about that shannon honestly like this is kind of this is really shocking to me but like i guess it makes sense i guess that maybe it's just that there's people that are psychic or they have that kind of connection that not everyone has and it just so happens that when they get angry like shit happens and then i mean think like storm like from x-men when she's like she can control the weather kind of thing like if she gets really (laughs) mad or something but with household objects Um, oh my god (laughs) that's weird well i'm not entirely certain that it is a psychokinetic thing i think i'm more prone to think that it might be something uh, otherworldly that attaches to these types of people who just have these emotions happening like it might just be bad luck or bad timing or bad like place of where you're at like maybe the poltergeist was waiting for someone with this vulnerability and this much anger and it found someone to latch on to and it could feed off that and exist off of it but only as long as you're still angry and still frustrated you know mm, weird yeah kind yeah. of like what you're saying about the Japanese ghosts well, the thing is that, like, those, you don't really get rid of unless you go to, like, some weird special shaman. And it's, like, a whole thing. Yours <laughs> sounds very, like, yours sounds like these ghosts have, like, temp jobs. And, like, they have, <laughs> like, finding one new one every time the, like, current one ends because the person becomes happy. Like, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it just ceases to exist after that. Maybe it is just intense energy born out of rage, and then it just goes away. I don't know. It just feels to me like, I don't know, and it's not a ghost, but rather like, 
it is like another entity, but uh, it's maybe an entity that is like accidentally created by this person that has so much rage. And like this rage, it's kind of like Silent Hill, actually. Like this rage becomes a physical thing and it becomes like a mirrored image of them. Um, but it but it is invisible to like the visible spectrum of light and only acts when the original person is very, very angry uh, or yeah. sad or something. That's so interesting. It's like a manifestation. So yeah, I was actually attempting. <laughs> I was I had the best intentions of this episode to be a little bit happier because we were definitely going down a dark, dark <laughs> road with the last few episodes. But this is still pretty dang dark. I mean, not as dark, but yeah. But 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 it's interesting because like it's not at all what I thought it was gonna be. Like like well, I'm telling you now. Like I really don't think that this is ghosts anymore. So this is really interesting to me. Yeah, I was actually excited to hear what you had for the poltergeist story because I thought that you were going to do something along the sim- the same lines, but I guess that it's more layered and I mean, like, less the thing studied. Is that, like when you research the Einfeld incident, it's labeled as a poltergeist everywhere. I guess because shit moved around the house, and to people that means poltergeist immediately if like plates are flying around the kitchen. But um, like anything can move things. Like I think that your case is about like people who have this ability to kind of like form a detached version of themselves that then wreaks havoc when they have a certain sentiment or feeling. Whereas mine is about a ghost that attached himself to a house. So actually not a poltergeist at all, a house, not the person. And then was freed once he got to talk to someone. I don't know. It's really strange. Yeah. Um, so very different cases actually, but they're both, I think erroneously classified as poltergeist. Yeah. And that's the thing. We really don't know. Like we, we still have no way to classify these things in a way that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Which is crazy. There's so many different things. And I think obviously because we can't definitively prove any of it, it's going to be a long time before anyone has really brutal classifications of what the actual like array of ghosts versus poltergeists versus freaking leprechaun fairies is, you know? Yeah. Or we'll just never have it because a lot of this information, I feel like maybe can only be obtained once you die. It's not like aliens where it's like, if you make contact with them, you can then like, like make records of that information. Like you kind of have to die to see a lot of what's in the other realm. <laughs> you Wait, can't really come back to record that. So, what do you think happens when you die? Um, well, that's a whole episode. <laughs> um, I just want to know. I think I've changed my mind on this a lot throughout the years. Right now, I think that you just go to black, and it's like boop, credits roll. Like, but like, actually, but there's not even credits. You just cut to black. That's it. Um. But then yeah. how's your ass going to become a ghost? And that's the thing. I don't think that everyone becomes a ghost. I think that... <sighs> I know, it's contradictory. A lot, of, a lot of this doesn't make sense. I just... I think that not everyone becomes a... Okay, I think that everyone has a soul. I think that when you die, that soul goes somewhere. I'm not sure where. Probably to become reincarnated. I don't... I think that there also... I think that also ghosts exist. I think that not everyone is a ghost. I think ghosts are some of those souls. They're the souls that have really terrible deaths or that have a finished business. And so they linger around, sometimes even attaching themselves to a person, potentially. Because apparently that's what a poltergeist is. We don't even know if 
that is the case though um now i think though that i'm not sure that you reincarnate immediately because mm. here's the thing like people who reincarnate they're like yep i used to be this pilot in the 1940s and now i'm a three-year-old in 2015 so clearly <laughs> there was a big period of just blackness and just darkness right so i think that both of my thinkings like can make sense together i think that you can immediately unless you have unfinished business or something i think that when you die you can immediately cut to black um but then years later you can come back and probably everyone does maybe just like whoever is in charge of putting spirits into reincarnated bodies like like maybe there's just too many spirits and not enough bodies so there's like a waiting line and that's why you have to wait 40 years i don't know um yeah like black death maybe we still haven't caught up with all that quota yeah literally i mean that's what people are like yeah like my i'm a past life i used to be like a peasant in the 12th century makes sense (laughs) (laughs) i don't know that's convoluted but i really try to reconciliate like the concept of just nothingness and also reincarnation because I believe in both, and that's the best way I can come up with reconciliating the two. What if karma enters into it too? What if karma dictates um, when you'll come back? If it's going to be a long waiting period or not? If you're going to be a horse or a person? <laughs> it could be, but to me, that's just so beyond that. Like, I feel like I'm wasting my time speculating about it because, like, karma could affect when you come back in a million ways. I literally wouldn't even know where to start thinking about that. Yeah, um, that's true. But, uh, but I don't, but I don't like super believe in karma anyway, just because so many shit people like live like lives like hurting people and like profiting off of that and then they die just fine. I mean, who knows? They could like return as a cockroach, the cockroach that I just like stepped on this morning at work. But uh, like that was like, I don't know, that was like, uh, Pablo Escobar, who knows? Um, but <laughs> but usually, but usually, no, I don't believe in karma. Okay, okay. I've what been do you lately, think happens? Lately, I've been thinking about, and this is totally abstract, and it makes almost no sense. It's very philo- philosophical. Lately, I've been thinking about life and death being both the same, and just time not being real. So. Basically, we are, and then we won't be, but we always will be because time isn't real. <laughs> Wig. <laughs> Wig uh, is snatched. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? It means whatever you want it to mean. It means that I will be born every day in 1995 for the rest of my life, even after my death. This is, it's just. This is what? it. I don't know. Do you, think, do, you think that, do you think that reality works in loops? No, I think that reality is just its just our, our perception. Our perception is us experiencing it now. I'm experiencing the present now, but the future may already be decided and the past definitely already happened. But it's all happening at the same time. There is no... There is no line. And so if I die, it doesn't really matter anyway because I'm still alive in the past. I get everything that you're saying except that it's all happening at the same time. I don't <laughs> think that. I mean, I, I don't think that time has necessarily have to be linear because I do believe that we'll, we will time travel eventually. Um, but, like, I don't... And I also believe in um, wormholes. So clearly, like, linearity of time isn't necessarily, like, a thing. But... 
I don't think time happens in this. Like, I don't think it collapses over itself and it can all happen at the same time. Unless you're talking about. Go ahead, go ahead. Basically, everything I'm saying is just a line out of a self help book repeated multiple times. So, (laughs) everything that can happen, will happen, has happened. That's all there is. (laughs) That's lit. lit. And Oprah is shook, but I wanted to know what you actually think happens when you get stabbed in the fucking brain by a knife. Why? Okay, who is going to stab me in the fucking brain with a knife? Me, if you don't fucking tell me. (laughs) I I think that because we all come from the same energy, that we will all be returned to the same energy, my body will be incinerated cremation wise and then my ashes will rise into the clouds and i will become the rain interesting okay so you're giving me a couple of philosophical roundabouts which i don't love because i'm getting frustrated <laughs> here but i will take nothing like, happens andre uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that what you want you want the truth <laughs> well listen like 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 an undetermined amount of just darkness isn't what I would love either. So it's not like I'm opposed to grim endings. Um, but anyway. Okay, well, so in I, my uh, mind, yeah. nothingness is like heaven because you're no longer suffering. <laughs> true, true. Like people, I know that that is very like, so people are like, oh no, that's scary. But I'm like, no, it's not. Like you won't feel scared because you literally won't exist. You won't be able to feel it. Um, but uh, okay. So second thing. So, like, my second theory, my alternative, the one that I, I believe in the second most is um, <laughs> something I read on Tumblr, like, years ago. It's so fucking dumb. But I love it. It's basically, like, the reason <laughs> the reason people think um, like, like, the reason people think they see, like, a light when they're dying <laughs> is because what they're actually seeing is hospital lights as they're being born. And that's why babies cry because they're sad because they just died. Oh, yeah, yeah. But there's a waiting period. There's a waiting period. <laughs> but, yeah, but there could be a waiting period. But that was just, like, amazing to me because, one, it, it, like, really made me think and it was really shocking. But, second, I just laughed because I was like, so you're telling me that when people see, say, like, go to the light, they're saying, like, go to the vagina? Because, like, basically you... <laughs> Like the vagina is the start and the end of life, and we all just need to accept that. <laughs> like I can't. Um, I don't know. Okay. Um. In all seriousness, though, I I really want to say that I support Scientology one hundred percent, and I am going to go to another planet when I die. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the comments made by Shannon do not reflect the comments of all Scary Talk podcast affiliates and associates. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no. Stay away from Scientology, guys. If I disappear, you know Tom Cruise came for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kids. You know the drugs, you know the Scientology. Definitely. Um, but yeah. That's Say a- no to Tom Cruise. Say no to Tom Cruise. As hard as you think that is, because he's a very handsome man. Um, he's like three feet tall. I know. Okay, so he's actually... Um, well, I don't want to give away my height. No, okay. Height <laughs> <laughs> um, reveal. No, he's actually... <laughs> I'd reveal. Um, hi. No, he's actually um, one inch shorter than I am. I'm shook because I'm five seven. He's five six. What? Five. I thought he was way shorter than that. No, I mean he can be way shorter than that and still be a leading man. Hollywood is accepting when you're talented, but not that accepting. All they have uh, to do is put some platform shoes on the guy, and he's good to go. And they have for many things. Fun fact, but no, <laughs> that's not sustainable. Um, but uh, yeah, he doesn't look that short in movies. So obviously they do a good job. But um, I know that he is five six in real life. It's crazy. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've learned a lot today. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, okay, quick update on Free Britney. <laughs> um, still not free. Uh, that was free. your quick update on Free Britney. Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I appreciate the update. <laughs> No, I used to follow this Facebook page when I used when I used to use Facebook. It was called um, Michael Jackson Updates, and this fucking meme page was hilarious to me and only me. Clearly, um, uh, it was like a, every day, like day three hundred and ninety-seven. Michael Jackson is still dead. <laughs> Just wait, one day he will rise again. Ah, <laughs> uh, I know. Tenth anniversary, rest in peace. But anyway. Um, maybe he's gonna come poltergeist someone. <laughs> um, what was that? Hehe. <laughs> there. Uh, okay, everyone. Um, you know the drill. You can listen to us anywhere. Um, we're on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. Um, go um, DM us on Twitter at TalkScary or leave us a comment if you have any ideas for uh, next episode topics. We're always um, glad to hear them. We're always happy to hear ideas. Um, if you are not yet following us on Twitter, again, we're there at TalkScary. You can also subscribe to our RSS feed on any of the services I mentioned. Uh, you can drop us a review on any of them, like um, Apple Podcasts. Um, Shannon, anything? Yes, I don't want to be nitpicky, but I forgot to mention it's Carl Young, not Jung. Oh my god, eat a dick. I just, I feel like people are going to say something, so I have to tell you now. <laughs> it's Young. <laughs> you said Jung, so no Young, so episode 17 is cancelled. Bye. Um... Wait, no! No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening. Uh, we'll see you all next week. No large meals before bedtime. The Mothman is real. Everyone eat a dick. And okay. um, stay spooky. Uh, we love you. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>